Hey there, my name is Ryan Hughley, and I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our goal is to help as many people as possible meet and mature in the Jesus of the Bible. For more information about our ministry, visit our website at ridgeline.church. If you enjoy the podcast, consider subscribing on the platform of your choice. Thanks again for listening, and I pray God's Spirit uses this message to revive you in a fresh way. All right, well, I want to start this morning uh, finishing up this last sermon in this series by talking about uh, the liability of unchecked anger. And here's why. Uh, Unchecked anger seethes below the surface waiting to erupt. The 1815 eruption of Mount Tambora off the coast of modern-day Indonesia was the deadliest and the most violent volcanic eruption in recorded history. The blast killed an estimated 100,000 people in all, and it affected the climate around the entire world, uh, causing what came to be known as the year without a summer. Now, you may know this, but volcanoes erupt as a result of magma rising to the surface. And as it rises, bubbles of gas form inside of it, and when the magma is thick, the gas can't escape. And so as a result of that, the pressure builds inside of this volcano. And when the pressure becomes too much, the volcano erupts. And so when pressure builds beneath the surface, it's only a matter of time until what's below erupts above. And that may never be more true than when it comes to anger. Unchecked, unattended, undealt with anger seethes below the surface waiting to erupt. And I think there's really two reasons that this is a really timely reminder for us. The first is we live in an age of rage. And secondly, words spoken in anger are often the most damaging. And so let me unpack those two reasons for us one at a time. First, outrage has to be one of the most obvious and consistent marks of our culture right now. We are almost addicted to outrage. We are outraged about politics. We are outraged at being told to wear masks. We are outraged when people don't wear masks. We are outraged about the economy and unemployment. Someone is outraged at the government and how they respond to COVID, no matter what that response is. We're outraged about things that are happening in the church. We're outraged at celebrities for what they do say. And we're outraged at celebrities for what they don't say. And so I don't know if you remember this, but Slate Magazine called 2014 the Year of Outrage. And in so doing, they composed this digital chart that you can still find online where they collected uh, everything that we were outraged about every single day based on online numbers that we were outraged about every single day in 2014. And it's fascinating to look at, particularly because you probably won't even remember the majority of what it is that we were all so mad about. Now, it's not like outrage ended with this eruption in 2014, because if anything, it's only gotten worse. In fact, I would argue that 2020 may be objectively the year of the greatest cultural outrage to date. And furthermore, social media has built in this feedback loop that fuels our outrage, Because it feels very, very good in the moment to express your outrage. But in addition to that, uh, you have this 
uh, thing built in where people then like your outrage or they share your outrage and the affirmation feels even better, so your outrage is rewarded. But I would argue that it is extremely dangerous to allow the affirmation of others to inform whether or not our outrage is healthy and helpful. We are living in an age of rage. But the second thing is that, that words spoken in anger are often the most damaging. My guess is every single one of us has at least one example in our lives of a time when the anger inside of us rose to the surface and came out in harsh words spoken at another. And we tend to regret the words that we speak when we are enraged. And so I'm sure that we all have some words that have been spoken in anger that we would love to be able to get back. But because we can't take words back, the damage of rash words is often irreparable. So we live in an age of rage, and words spoken in anger are often the most damaging. And so as we close out this Taming the Dragon series, I want to land the plane by taking an honest look at uh, one of, if not the greatest enemy of our words of our relationships, and of the life that God wants for us. And so here's our big idea this morning. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Uh, unchecked anger obliterates relationships, and it blocks the life God wants. Unchecked anger obliterates our relationships, and it blocks the life that God wants. This is the message of James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, where we're going to spend our time together this morning. So if you haven't yet, go ahead and open your Bibles or apps to James chapter 1. We're going to call this message, Learning to Listen in an Age of Rage. Learning to Listen in an Age of Rage. We're going to be in James 1, 19 to 20. Let me just read these two verses to you. It'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible uh, this morning, and then we'll unpack these. But James starts like this. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Now, here's the gift that we are given here. James gives us uh, three keys to speaking wise words. Uh, if you don't know this, the letter of James is heavily influenced by the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. If the New Testament had its own book of Proverbs, it would be the letter of James. The Old Testament book of Proverbs is filled with instructions for how we should and should not speak. And as we've seen, so does James. And so we're going to look at these three keys to speaking wise words uh, from James this morning. The first is this, be quick to listen. Be quick to listen. Notice again, verse 19, James says, My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen. So first of all, one of my favorite things about James is the way that he so frequently models the type of careful speech that he commends. He has very hard things to say throughout his letter. One of the reasons that James is, is the favorite New Testament book of so many Christians is that it is so immensely practical. James is like, do this, don't do that. But that's also hard to hear because as you read James, you realize the myriad of ways in which you fall short of everything that he's calling us to. But I love that he's so tender in the way that he communicates those hard things. He starts saying, my dear brothers and sisters. So he's not a bully. He doesn't use fear to force people to pay attention. He's not condescending. He's not sarcastic. He's not harsh. His words are filled with tenderness. And then he says, be quick to listen. Now, if you think about it, 
This may just be one of the most genuinely countercultural commands of the New Testament because we are far from being quick to listen. Instead, if we're honest, we use the majority of our time speaking or ignoring what's being spoken to us because we're so busy preparing what we're going to say in response. Like, like we fail to follow this simple command in even the most basic of ways. For instance, tell me I'm not the only one who's ever done this. You meet someone for the very first time and you chat them up for a minute and then you follow the conventional protocols demanded of a polite society and you ask, hey, what's your name? It's a simple question with an unbelievably short answer. We're talking like two words, max. Only a weirdo shares their middle name when introducing themselves. <laughs> That's just free advice. I've never been asked my name and been like, my name is Ryan Joshua Hughley, it's nice to, never. No one, no one does that. The, the, the answer simply demands two words, your first name and your last name. Oftentimes, the answer to this simple question is one word. Someone asks, what is your name? I respond, Ryan. Now, despite the embarrassingly short amount of time that it takes for someone to answer that simple question, nine times out of ten, I miss their name, failing to listen because I'm so busy getting ready to reply with my own name. How dumb is that? Because it's not like my, res my response requires any preparation. I can't remember the last time that I was asked to give my name and I was like, you know what, I, I'm, it's slipping my mind <laughs> at this so it's not like I have to even hold on to what, I, it requires nothing, but I'm, I can be that bad of a listener. And my point in this is just to convey that, that we have an often shocking inability to truly listen despite Scripture's commands to do so. Proverbs 18, verse 13, it won't be on the screen, just listen to this. Solomon writes, the one who gives an answer before he listens, this is foolishness, and disgrace for him. So failing to listen is not only rude, it is rude for sure, but it's not only rude, it's also foolish. And listening is not just nodding your head while consuming the words of another person. This call to listen from James, James has behind it a very particular intent. Listening is hearing with the intent to understand. And so when someone is quick to listen, it's because they have the desire to learn about or from what the other person is saying. They want to learn from others, at very least for the purpose of truly understanding how another person thinks and feels. Again, in Proverbs 20, verse 5, Solomon says, Counsel in a person's heart is deep water, but a person of understanding draws it out. And so I want you to think about a well, like an old school well that you draw water from. A well runs really deep underground, and to draw out the water, you had to have a bucket attached to a rope in order to get that water to the surface. And Solomon is saying that to truly understand a person, we have to do the same thing. We have to ask good questions, and we have to listen intently to the response in order to truly understand. See, the truth is when learning is your deepest desire, listening will become a consistent discipline. But if we're honest, many of us just genuinely don't care about learning from other people. And so we need an increase in humility in our hearts that will drive us to learn. When learning is your deepest desire, listening will become a consistent discipline. James has three keys for wise speech. The first this morning is be quick to listen. The second is be slow to speak. 
be so slow to speak. So again, he says, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Now, we are so obsessed with being understood that we rarely take the time to understand before we start spouting off at the mouth. Yet over and over and over again, Proverbs warns about the danger of both rash and just this constant stream of words. I'll give you a couple of examples. Proverbs 10.19 says, When there are many words, sin is unavoidable, but the one who controls his lips is prudent. Proverbs 13 verse 3 says, The one who guards his mouth protects his life. The one who opens his lips invites his own ruin. And then there's my personal favorite, Proverbs 18.6, A fool's lips lead to strife and his mouth provokes a beating. Now, I experienced this literally as a kid. I believe that I was in the third grade and we were outside at recess, I think playing Foursquare which is the game of all games when you're in third grade. And uh, at that time in my life, I sadly already had an arch enemy. It didn't take me very long to develop that. <clears throat> Even more unfortunate is the fact that it was a fifth grade girl. And <laughs> she was the bane of my existence. And uh, on this particular day, we were locked in a verbal sparring match for the ages. It was, uh, it was getting pretty rough, and uh, I gotta tell you, I crossed a line. And I'll tell you how I know I crossed a line. Um, it, was a, it was a long time ago. I don't recall all of the details. All I remember is that we'd been going back and forth, and I called her a warthog. <laughs> I'm not, like, I couldn't make that up. Like, I, I distinctly remember saying, you are a warthog. And the next thing I knew, I was on my back getting pummeled by this girl. Now, you have to understand that as a three, uh, third grade boy, there is no greater shame than getting beat up by a girl. And I'm not saying it's right. I understand that this, that shame is steeped in all kinds of gender stereotypes and all of that. But regardless, it's, it's hard to come back as a third grade boy when you got your hiney handed to you by a fifth grade girl. Now, adding insult to injury, I got sent home for fighting, which I think is wrong because in order for it to be a fight, you have to have fought back. When you're just looking up on the person hitting, that's just assault. That's not fighting. But I still got sent home. So regardless, my mouth literally provoked a very humbling beating that day. Now, on the other end of that proverb, in Proverbs 21, 23, Solomon says, the one who guards his mouth and keeps his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. So, I want you to notice in what James has said, it's not that we are never to speak. He says that we are to be slow to speak so that we can be very careful with our words. And we do well to practice this in our personal relationships, to be careful with the words that we speak to one another. But I also think there is a growing cultural pressure that we need to be aware of and to address. See, we live in a culture that demands swift, sweeping commentary from all of us on everything. And so what happens is, if, if, if an atrocity, a perceived atrocity takes place, and you don't say something, immediately you are seen as complicit. And the problem with that is, that cultural virtue conflicts with everything that the Bible teaches us about wise speech. And so contrary to what our culture says, you don't have to speak publicly immediately about everything. Secondly, sometimes it's wise to take your time to speak out. 
because we are called to be quick to listen. So before we ever speak, we should be certain that we understand exactly what it is that we are trying to say and the potential impact that our words might have. And so here's, here's a proverb from the book of Ryan. It's growing in its popularity. It's doing very, very well. I don't think it'll be added to the Bible, but it's, uh, it's still got a lot of wisdom in it. So I know that what I say is not going to be added to the Bible. Everyone just relax a little bit, okay? <laughs> but here's how I would say it. Delayed comment need not indicate indifference. Delayed con- uh, comment need not indicate indifference. Sometimes it just means you're wisely trying to understand so that you don't speak in a way that you regret. And so despite the pressure that we all feel to speak about every single thing happening in our world, we don't have to do that. Because the truth is, our world is filled with so much atrocity and we are aware of it more. You know, there was a day and an age when you didn't even know what was happening in another city in Utah, much less in other states or other country. Like we know about every awful thing that's happening everywhere in the world. And it is impossible for every person to thoroughly understand every single atrocity and then be able to speak to it in a clear and a compelling and a helpful way. So even though there's this pressure to speak into everything, we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. James has three keys for wise speech. The first, again, is be quick to listen. The second is be slow to speak. And this third one is, in many ways, the factor that poses the greatest threat to our ability to do the first two. And that is this, be slow to anger. Be slow to anger. Again, James says, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. So notice that in addition, on this one, in addition to the command, James gives the motive. He says, be slow to anger for or because human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. So what James is saying is unbridled human anger will never produce the life God wants, ever. Now let me just say, emotions are not inherently evil. There is no emotion, in fact, that in and of itself is inherently evil. And that needs to be said because we have a bad habit as Christians of demonizing certain emotions and raising others up as holy and righteous. So sadness and jo- or, uh, happiness and joy are elevated as good Christian emotions, but things like anger and sadness are demonized. Another example that I'm hearing a lot of right now is fear. Certain segments of the Christian population that don't see any serious threat in the coronavirus continue to raise concerns about things saying like, we shouldn't live in fear. The Bible says, fear not. So we shouldn't wear masks and we don't need to physically distance. We don't need to be afraid of anything. And while I think that that sentiment is sometimes very well-intentioned, I don't think it takes into consideration the full counsel of God's word on this particular emotion. For instance, Proverbs 22.3 says, a sensible person sees danger and takes cover. Do you know why? Because God gave us the capacity to fear the possibility of danger so that we would avoid it. I'll give you an example. I was camping earlier this week with my kids, and I was awakened uh, right around midnight to the sound of something very, very large lurking in the woods just outside of our tent. 
And I got to tell you, you have not felt fear until you are laying in a tent in the pitch black, hearing the sound, sound of branches being crushed and having no idea what's doing it. And in addition to the branches, I kept hearing these two sounds. I kept hearing, and then, it was horrifying. Now, my assumption is that it was a moose, but most of what you read, I know because I grabbed my phone and I Googled this in the middle of the night. <laughs> what you read, most of what you read about moose is they're not nocturnal and they're usually not very active at night at all. So, so even if it was a moose, I'm just saying they're huge and they can be dangerous. So I was there laying in the dark, my heart racing like 100 miles an hour trying to decide what to do. I wanted to know what it was, but I was also afraid to like sit up and shine my flashlight out the window because I'm like, what if I spook this thing and it charges our, like, I don't, what am I, Bear grills? I have no idea how this thing is going to respond. The only, the only point of defense that I had was my pocket knife and like, what, I'm not going like, to wake up in the middle of the night with Jedi skills and all of a sudden like be really good at hand-to-hand -hand combat. It was just not going to go well for me at all. So I wasn't feeling great. Plus, you know, I always have in the back of my mind that I got beat up in third grade by a fifth grade girl. So I just, my fighting skills, I had never been something I've bragged about. So let me just ask, so I got all this fear happening inside of me. Now, now with that in mind, let me ask you this rhetorical question. Please don't yell out your answer. Um, was I in sin for feeling fear in that moment? I mean, think about it. The Bible says, fear not. It's actually the most consistent command from start to finish in Scripture. And I felt fear. Was I in sin for feeling fear? I mean, my hope is that your answer to that question is no. Because there was a very real possibility of danger in that moment. All that separated me and my kids from whatever it was was a tiny piece of fabric and my pocket knife. So, had a bear started to tear through our tent... God's expectation is not that we would just lay back in peace in the name of not being afraid. A sensible person sees danger and takes cover. And so my point in this example is to say, no emotion is inherently evil. And they are very complicated and we can't just ask ourselves, I said this last week, but we got to keep saying this. We cannot just ask ourselves what the Bible says. We also have to ask the question, what do these various commands mean? And that's especially true when it comes to our emotions. Emotions aren't evil. But what we do with them and why we feel them can be. And so even our emotions need to be brought into alignment with God's will. And that's James' goal here with anger. Notice he does not say, never get angry. He says, be slow to anger. So anger is not a sin when it is stewarded appropriately. God feels anger. And we feel anger because we are created in his image. Unfortunately, anger also is an emotion that we tend to steward inappropriately. And so we end up with what James here calls human anger. Now, in their excellent book, The Cry of the Soul, uh, Eleanor and Longman help us think clearly about this type of destructive anger, and they write this. Unrighteous anger is a dark energy that demands for the self a more tolerable world now. 
instead of waiting for God's redemption according to divine design and timing. They go on and say, we are committed, this is so important, we are committed to the idolatrous demand of experiencing the fullness of heaven now. Our anger is designed to possess whatever taste of heaven we can find now and preserve that small sliver of satisfaction. See, anger is the result of a perceived injustice. There is something that we believe we deserve or something that we think we need, and because its absence feels unjust, we get angry. The problem is, oftentimes, things we think we deserve and the things we think we need are twisted by sin. And so as a result, we end up feeling this human anger that does not accomplish God's righteousness. So anger toward racism is righteous. Amen? Now, if you decide to become a real-life Batman and you begin murdering white supremacists in cold blood due to your anger, that is human anger and it is wrong. And this has everything to do with our words. One of the ways human anger is quickest to expose itself in us is through words. And this is why Solomon said, the one who has knowledge restrains his words, and one who keeps a cool head is a person of understanding. Very little good happens in the heat of the moment. And that's especially true of our speech. And so here's the thing. We should always be suspicious of anger. Not dismissive, but we should be suspicious. Because it's an emotion that even when it starts righteous, it has this very unique ability to head south quickly. And human anger will not honor God ever. You know why? Because unrighteous human anger is ultimately a declaration of war on God. We're declaring that his timing and his plan for justice is not sufficient. And so we're going to take vengeance into our own hands. And I love you, and I want you to know you will never win a war with God. And so ultimately, the antidote to human anger is trusting God. Trusting that he has a plan. Trusting that he has a purpose in what it is that he's doing. Trusting that he has timing that comes along with that. But when we are victim to or falling prey to this human anger over and over and over and over again, it's an indication we are not trusting God in the midst of it. Unchecked anger will obliterate our relationships and it will block the life that God wants. And so James says that we should be quick to listen, we should be slow to speak, and we should be slow to get angry. So as we bring this series to a close, here's what I'm, I'm praying we would take away. Uh, walking with Jesus is large in part about becoming a better student of your heart. If you're newer to the faith, if you've never really stopped to consider what does it really mean to walk with and to follow Jesus, that is a huge part of what it is. It's learning to be a better student of your own heart. Because all of the behavior that comes out of us, including our speech, as we've seen, flows from within us. And all of the external change that God wants for us starts with transformation within us. And so we have to become better students of our hearts, of what is happening inside of us. And so often I find we really don't take the time to stop and think about, man, what is happening inside of me? 
Maybe you have things behaviorally in your life, maybe even specific to your speech, these patterns of destruction in the way that you speak. And I wonder how often we really stop to ask ourselves, not just why is this problematic, but where is this? this is, it's all coming from somewhere. So what is happening inside of me? And so in order for us to be better stewards of that, it really demands two disciplines. And I really hope this is our big takeaway from this series. It demands learning to listen to God and talking to one another. If you want to like, how do I, if you're newer to faith, you feel like your faith is stale or stagnant or has stalled in some way, and you're wondering like, how do I begin to pursue intimacy with Jesus? What, what does that even mean? What does that look like? It looks like two things. It looks like learning to listen God, to God and talking to one another. So first, we have to learn to listen to God. And the primary way that we learn to listen to God is by spending time contemplating his word. One of the many things that God intends the Bible to be is a mirror that helps us see what's happening inside of us. And so we read it, asking God to help us better understand not only him, certainly him, first and foremost him, but also ourselves through it. So we pray, reading, Father, what, what does this say that you want to change in me? And so we read the Bible and we use it like a mirror to reflect what is happening inside of us. But secondly, we have to choose the humility and the courage to talk to one another. I think, I think the longer I pastor and the longer I'm a follower of Jesus, I believe that we are in danger of overcomplicating our pursuit of biblical community by attempting to program it through things like small groups and Bible studies, even our own meetups. I think all of those things are good and fine and necessary, but I think sometimes we are in danger of overcomplicating how we go about experiencing biblical community. Those things don't produce community. They create environments where, where community can be formed. That's all they do. But when we try to make them the mechanism that creates community, we overcomplicate it and they will never be successful at that. And so you want to know what the simple essence of biblical community is? It's just having one or two people in your life with which you talk about what God's doing in you. That's the essence of it. So it's not, it's not like super complicated. I'm not saying that it's easy to do that. It's for some of us to open up and actually understand and then be able to communicate what God's doing, that requires a huge amount of courage for us. So I'm not saying it's easy. I am saying it's not complicated. And I've seen people over the years hop from one church to another because they just don't like the mechanism a church uses to build community. And the mechanism doesn't matter. It's as simple as sitting with another person in your life over and over and over and over again answering the question, where are you at? What is God doing in you? Tyler and I meet every Friday for almost two hours and, and it, it always starts with the same question. So, how are you? Literally. And then he'll cry for an hour. <laughs> and then he'll wipe his face and he'll say, how are you? And I cry occasionally. Not as frequently, but occasionally. <laughs> but, he, but here's the thing, man. If you, if you have a conversation like that with someone for a few months, a conversation like that with someone over and over and over again for a few years, I'm telling you, you will experience the deepest relationship you have ever experienced. It's really that simple. 
because you're learning to share the deepest part of who you are. So rather than only walk away with one or two insights on our words, I'm praying that we would walk away from this series committed to listening to God and talking with one another about what he's revealing in us. Because if we do that, our speech will change because our hearts will be transformed. And so let's learn to walk with our hearts open to God and open to one another. Will you pray with me? Bow your heads. Father, we thank you for your commitment to make us like you. Jesus, we thank you for this simple invitation that you extend to us every day, which is just follow me. Lord, you've called us to walk with you and that we're to do that together. And so, Lord, first and foremost, I pray if there's anyone here or there's anyone listening that has not answered that invitation, I pray that you would awaken their heart to faith in you. Lord, if there's anyone listening who has equated relationship with you to rule-keeping and religion, I pray that you would just destroy that in their thinking. Lord, I pray that you would help us to receive this invitation to receive grace, to put our faith in Jesus, who lived a perfect life, died in our place for our sin and rose again, and just invites us to come to him and to follow him. Lord, I pray that you would help us to answer that call. And I I thank you, Lord, and pray that you would help us to continue to understand then that all of the change that you want to produce in our lives happens from the inside out. Help us to always keep front of mind that relationship with you is not about carefully constructing an outer world that looks put together and proper. It's about allowing you to deconstruct everything inside of us, to reconstruct us into the people that you created us to be. And so, Lord, help us to be committed to that inner work. Make us students of our own hearts. Teach us to listen to you and to talk with one another. Lord, we need your help in all of this. And so we come to you humbly, honestly this morning with our hearts exposed, saying this is where we are. We bring this to you and we need you like a skilled surgeon and a loving father to put right what has gone wrong in us. And so we ask that you would reveal that, that you would do that work in Jesus' name. Amen.